When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by Inside the Penguins. It is the midst of August, which means a couple of things. For one, it means the United States were eliminated by Team Czechia last night in the quarterfinals of the World Juniors, which also means that Team Canada now has a nice little path to victory as the defending champs are out. But with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about Pittsburgh Penguins prospect rankings today because all three articles are out at InsideThePenguins.com of my top five in each section. That's forward, defense, and goaltender. We're going to break down all three sections today in the first segment of the show. And then since it is August, rankings are coming out everywhere. So we're going to talk about Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby being ranked in the top 20 of NHL centers by NHL Network. That'll come in the second segment, as well as shout-outs and call-outs, which will finish off this show. But Horwat, let's start with the Pittsburgh Penguins prospect rankings, because Obviously, the Penguins do not have one of the premier prospect pools in the National Hockey League. In fact, I believe it is ranked 29th out of 32 in Scott Wheeler of the Athletics prospect pool rankings. But still, we scrounged up 15 names to put into this list. I'm shocked you found five goalies. And also, 29 sounds like an improvement. We are moving up in the world. We used to be 30, 31. We never hit 32, although uh, I I think that's because uh, we didn't have 32 teams. Whenever we were really, at, I think we did hit 31 at one point. Mm-hmm. We were coasting around there at 30 or 31. Um, and then the Seattle Krakens came in and saved our bacon, but also moved us up a little bit. So that's nice. Well, Wait, I'm shocked you found five goalies. <laughs> well, it wasn't easy. And let's be honest, though. Even though the Pittsburgh Penguins have moved up and everybody uses the excuse, oh, that's the price you pay for winning Stanley Cups. That's the price you pay for being in the playoffs for however many seasons in a row. It's bordering on being beyond that, though, because the Penguins won the Stanley Cup last in 2017, which is five years ago. And if they win a playoff series next season in 2023, it will be five years removed from their last playoff series win against the Philadelphia Flyers in 2018. So you know what? Even though the Penguins have made the playoffs, it is past time for them to have rebuilt this prospect pool. And I think you see it with Ron Hextall that it's starting to get turned around. We'll talk about the defense. He completely overhauled every prospect, basically, on the defensive side. But it's past time that this prospect pool starts to climb the rankings a little bit quicker than it has the past five seasons. Yeah, it definitely has to start somewhere. It's... Whenever we came into this offseason, we were looking at a possible Penguins future that did not have Chris Letang or Evgeny Malkin as a part of it. Mm-hmm. And in the and possibly in the near future from there, no Sidney Crosby in it. Uh, you need a future of this team. If you want to put a successful team on the ice, you have to have good youngsters who can come in post those guys. I know we have Letang for another six years. I know we have Crosby for another two or three. I three. think it is. For another three. I know we have Malkin for another four. That doesn't matter really because one day they will all not be here. Mm And one day Father Time will catch up to all of them. And you have that basically that amount of time to really set a standard for prospects and have your pick of the litter of who's going to take this team over. Now sure, again, trades can happen. More draft picks will come in. More prospects will happen but the basis of possible of your possible depth guys will be starting right about now these guys that we are going to be listing off might still have the chance to play with 
you know, Latang, Crosby, and Malkin. They're not the future future, but it is about time to start looking at the guys that are going to be here for the next 10 years mm-hmm. rather than the next five or so. But these are guys that still are intriguing to look at and look forward to seeing in NHL uniforms one day. Now, when I say it's it's past time that the Penguins build up their prospect pool, I'm not saying that they should clutch on to these prospects because at the end of the day, if you're going to say, hey, somebody wants a Nolan Collins or somebody wants a Sam Poulin for a piece that could really help you win a Stanley Cup this year or next year, you do it nine times out of ten, sometimes ten times out of ten. But my point is it's past time for them to actually genuinely start building this prospect pool. And I do believe that we've seen the beginnings of that with Ron Hextall in his first two years as Penguins general manager. So with that, let's begin with the defense because the defense is the most intriguing of all three of these. Whenever I was getting ready to write these three pieces, I said, you know what, the forwards, I can basically figure it out. The the goaltenders, there's already something in my mind. The defense, however, it took a lot of research. It took a lot of who's there, who's the better ones, who, who's going in which direction. And let me tell you, it is interesting because of the amount of overhaul the Pittsburgh Penguins have had since Ron Hextall has joined on the blue line. Both we saw it now in this summer at the NHL level, but it's been going on for the past little while. Think about the fact that five of his first 10 draft picks as the Penguins general manager has been a defenseman. Ron Hextall and then also you think about the fact that this summer alone Nicholas Almari, Yuso Rikola, Cam Lee, Will Riley all gone all left Joshua Maniscalco somebody that you had mentioned a couple times for the past couple seasons he's still in the organization but he's trending down so they needed an overhaul so with that I'll give my top five and then we can discuss The fifth best prospect on the defensive side is a newer prospect, Colin Swoyer, 24-year-old defenseman that signed in March to a one-year ELC. We'll see him in Wilkes-Barre this year. I have him at number five. Nolan Collins, a recent draft pick about a month ago. He is at number four. Isaac Beliveau, fifth-round pick from last year's draft. I have at number three. Owen Pickering, of course, the first first round selection, not first overall, for the Pittsburgh Penguins this season at 21st overall. I have him at number two. And the number one prospect is P.O. Joseph. I know that people can switch Joseph and Pickering because of Pickering having more of a future, but I think when you're looking at it, it's so tough to judge an 18-year-old who's just been selected, who's going to go back to the WHL against P.O. Joseph, who's a guy who in a month is genuinely going to have an opportunity to make the team out of camp. So I still have Joseph at that number one spot, but Pickering is not far behind him. I think after that, though, there is a severe drop-off between Pickering and Beliveau at number three. There kind of is, yeah, and I'm glad you at least brought up Colin Sawyer because that sounds like the guy who could be bumped up this list very quickly depending on how he performs in his one year here uh, Mm -hmm. to start off. And when it comes to the placing of Pickering and Joseph, Pickering might be up at number one because, I mean, you never know. He might become the more skilled player, Mm -hmm. but at the moment we just don't don't know. We haven't seen it with with our eyes in our system. Whereas Joseph, we know what he can do. We know he is NHL ready, so that gives him a big advantage in uh, in putting him at number one. And I, it's also kind of just the obvious choice. Until he actually becomes an NHL player, he's still a prospect. Um, sure, he's played NHL games, but it's really time for him to crack that regular lineup. And to honestly, next year he shouldn't be on this list. He mm-hmm. should be an NHL. Re- Hell, in a few weeks he shouldn't be on this list. He should be an NHL regular. And that's what really sets him apart from Owen Pickering in, the, in this list as being the number one. So I agree with this list. I think Colin Sawyer can be bumped a little, but we just need to see what he can do first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 24 years old and playing four years at Michigan Tech for, you know, it, he's a good player. He's a little bit undersized for the the defenseman that Ron Hexel has brought in. That's something that you also have to realize is a lot of the defensemen are 6'2", 6'3". I mean, Owen Pickering is six foot four as an 18-year-old. If he fills into that body and continues to have that sweet skating stride that he has, he's going to be an absolute monster. But again, 18 years old, you're projecting four, five years in the future, hoping that everything goes well. 
A guy like Isaac Beliveau is somebody I'm going to keep my eye on this year because after a really good rookie season in the QMJHL, he has struggled a little bit. I think COVID, as has with many prospects in the NHL the last couple of drafts, COVID really stunted his growth and his progression in the minors and in juniors. So I want to see what he's able to do this season because he had a down year last year. He trended a little bit down last year. I want to see if he can bounce back and play a little bit better in the QMJHL. But Horwat, do you have anything else on the Pittsburgh Penguins defensive prospects before we move to the forward side? It It's a, it's a real shame that we didn't keep around certain guys like a Will Riley or a uh, Cam Lee specifically. I think, I think um, those are players that could have had a bright future. It just sucks that it, Will Riley. Maybe I'm a little less surprised about. It. I just thought he looked looked big in a prospect camp last year. Mm-hmm. But um, I think f- when it comes to uh, Cam Lee, I thought he had a real bright future. Uh, and who knows? Maybe Maniscalco can turn something around. It's all question marks. But uh, I'm more in, when it comes to our defensive prospect pool. I'm more disappointed at the people leaving than I am staying. Mm-hmm. And I think in this instance as well, to close out this conversation, when you look at the top five, the defense is the one where Ron Hextall has the most fingerprints on. Four of the top five here are all Ron Hextall selections. So three of them being selections, one being a college free agent signing. And we saw Jim Rutherford and specifically really overall the Pittsburgh Penguins of the past decade have been really good at signing guys out of college and... Colin Sawyer is now the first name really for Ron Hextall that has joined that list. I know we've also talked about Philip Lindbergh, who we'll mention in a little bit talking about goaltenders, but Sawyer is the first real defenseman that has grabbed my attention from being a college signing from Ron Hextall, so we'll have to see how that pans out. But let's talk about the forwards, because I think this is the most fun that we can have, because there's the most names. I mean, obviously, there's guys like Zom Plant, who just got drafted to the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's not going to make the top five already. But there's other players, Ravis Ansons, who was with Team Latvia at World Juniors. They got eliminated last night in the quarters. There's also a guy like Kirill Tankov, who's really good over in Russia, but we don't really know what he, when he's going to be able to come over, when he's going to be ready to come over. So here's my top five on the forward side of things. Nathan Legare slots in at number five. And realistically, I had to struggle to keep him on over some other guys just because of how much he has dropped. At least his stock has dropped in the last couple of years. Lucas Svedkovsky is number four. I'm very excited. The more I see of this guy, the more excited I am to see him play professional hockey. He's a small, basically like scat back type of forward. He's very talented. He's jumping into Wilkes-Barre, like I said, for the first time this year. So it'll be interesting to see how he makes that progression to professional hockey. Philip Hollander, a guy that once we reacquired him with the Pittsburgh Penguins, a lot of people said, hey, he immediately becomes a top five overall prospect. And he really is. But I think he did have a rough season last year. And I'm excited to see what he's able to do this season. I have him slotted in at number three. Samuel Poulin, if you would have asked me at the midpoint of last year, I would have said Poulin is probably below Hollander and he's dropping fast. But he was able to turn it around, and I think that shows something, especially in a young player who was dealing with a lot of adversity in his first year as a professional. If he can build off what he did at the end of last season, then he's going to project to potentially be part of the team late in the season, or at the very least, make his NHL debut in this coming season. And speaking of that, somebody who made his debut last year, Valtteri Pustinen, had a great year last year for Wilkes-Barre. I'm excited to see what he's able to do to build off of that. I was saying throughout most of the summer that he's somebody that might have a chance to make the team out of camp. I think the more we see with the additions of a Josh Archibald, with bringing back Denton Heinen at $1 million, it kind of pushes Pustinen out of that role. But I'm excited to see what he's able to do as potentially an injury replacement, getting more than one game this season. So Legere, Svekovsky, Hollander, Poulin, and Pustinen. What do you think of the forward top five that I have rolling here for the Pittsburgh Penguins? It is hard to pick... A solid top five when it comes to our forward prospects because we've had Nathan Legere around for a couple seasons now. This is his year to finally do something and show that he is no longer the guy taking setbacks because that's mm-hmm. kind of what his you know his progression has been recently. It's just been guy who was originally a number two when we first got him, just hit with setback, hit with setback, hit with setback. Now he's going into his second year of professional hockey. Maybe if he finds that turnaround, you know, we're, we won't see him in the NHL this year. I think that's a 
outright backed at this point. Yeah. But if he is able to at least turn it around and prove he has something, maybe the year after, you know, if he's able to maintain some new gain a new trajectory and hold on to it and then it does it doesn't become names but it becomes names that you know can do something Mm -hmm. from there you mentioned uh, Svetkovsky seems like he's got a bright future just a matter of taking good advantage of it he's got to crack um, all kinds of work he's coming over to to the uh, professional side of things and we'll see where he goes from there it should be he'll be fun to watch in general Mm -hmm. we saw what he did in the Q was he in the Q or the W? Svetkovsky, I believe, was in the W. Okay, so many uh, names. Put up good stuff in the W, which is not the Q. So <laughs> we know if you put up better numbers in the W, that's a little bit different. Hollander, we know he can, what he can do, and I'm very, I'm still very interested in Sam Poulin. I know he's another one that, for whatever reason, just hasn't hit his pro, uh, projections. Mm-hmm. But I still am so interested in what he can do. He seems like he's got the ability to turn things around. The fact that he has not slipped on this list past two should should be enough. He's up there, and he has been up there as the team's one or two to possibly three top prospect for years now since we drafted him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just his time to make that jump. I feel like as an injury replacement, he can make the NHL roster – and make a difference. Give him an extended look if you need to. I'm not upset that the that Hextall and company have re-signed guys and brought guys in, but they have uh, pretty much pushed our prospects to the minors for another season because uh, I wanted to see some of these guys get extended looks like Sam Poulin. But for now, as an injury replacement, I'll take it. I think he's got a lot to prove, and he can do it this year. Mm-hmm. And when Poulin, it's the same thing that we're going to see with Pickering for years to come. It's He's going to be ranked in the top three, top two of these prospect rankings because he's a first-round pick. There's a different level of expectation whenever you are a first-round pick, especially for a team in the Pittsburgh Penguins that don't very don't pick very often in that, in that round. I mean, Poulin and Pickering are the only two picks between now and Kasperi Kapanen is the last one after them. So that's absolutely ridiculous considering Kapanen was, what, 2014 when he was drafted in the first round? So three first-round picks in the past eight years, they're going to get a bigger spotlight. So that's the thing with Poulin. I'm excited to see what he's able to do this year. You mentioned Legaray, and I want to talk about him a little bit deeper. We're not going to get too much into the goaltenders because I think it's pretty cut and dry, that list. But uh, I do want to talk about Legaray really quickly before we move on. He's somebody who last year was expected to come in and be a goal scorer for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And at Wilkes-Barre last year, he had seven goals, 16 points, and 57 games played. By all intents and purposes, a disappointing season for him. But I think even more disappointing because he saw Samuel Poulin doing the same thing, and then Poulin was able to turn it around where Legaray just stayed at that level the entire season. We could see him flip that switch heading into this year. That would be great. But I think Legere is somebody who is quickly falling on this list and could find himself outside of the top five as early as December this year if he doesn't get off to a hot start. But I think the big thing with Legere is going to be, can he turn it around? Can he get his confidence back at the beginning of this season? That's exactly what it's going to have to be. He has to find that confidence. We know he's... Do you remember the days we were talking that Legere has one of the best shots in the organization? Not just one of the out of the prospects, not just out of the minors, out of the entire organization, and that included guys like Crosby, Malkin, Gensel. Like, what what happened to that? We know he still has that. It is a matter of regaining the confidence that he can utilize it and find the back of the net far more often than he has been. Sure, mm-hmm. it's his first year in professional hockey, so we'll cut him a little bit of slack because he's not a number one prospect. But because he is still so highly touted as a prospect in this organization, he has to do better than what he did despite it. Despite He's 21. We're being a little mm-hmm. harsh here. But something's got to give. And if you want to make something in NHL and you want to make a difference on this team, you have to start pulling your weight and you have to start pulling through. And this is just the time to do it. It's We talk about P.O. Joseph's make-or-break year from a career standpoint. You know, the Penguins have not been butchering his projection into an NHL player, but he has to do something this year if he wants to have a nice little career in the NHL. Whereas Legere needs it's a make or break year for him in this organization. Otherwise, he should just become trade fodder. Mm-hmm. So 
if he if he turns it around, he bumps up this this list so quickly too. Mm-hmm. So to finish things off, we're going to talk about the goaltending prospects, and it is honestly the strongest position for the Pittsburgh Penguins when it comes to depth in the prospect rankings. But I think the issue is you have three guys that are all around the same level. And they're still about a year or two out from even touching the NHL level. So we look at it, I think number five I have is Tommy Napier. He's a guy that is going to be perennially an AHL at best goaltender. You're not going to see him make it to the NHL unless something really, really drastic happens at the NHL and AHL level. But he's a guy that's going to be able to fill out your organization. So I have him at number five. Sergei Murashov recent draft pick last month of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's playing over in the MHL in Russia, so we'll have to see how his progression goes. But he's 18 years old, so excited to see what he's able to do this season now being a Pittsburgh Penguins draft pick. And it's kind of the same thing as Kirill Tankov, where we need to keep an eye on him, but we're not really sure when he's going to make that jump to North America. The top three, Taylor Gauthier was signed, I believe, earlier this year. He plays in the WHL. Not sure where he's going to be progression-wise. I don't think he will. Uh, I don't think he's going to crack the top two by the end of this season. But I'm excited to see what he's able to do because he comes with a certain type of pedigree to the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. Philip Lindbergh is a guy who had a missed opportunity last year. Signed out of UMass, was a national champion in the NCAA. Came into the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins last year. Became the goaltender of the month in the first month of the season of October. Then he had an injury and barely played the rest of the season. So if he's able to get himself right heading into this year, I'm excited to see what Philip Lindbergh is able to do in year two of professional hockey because he looked so good early on in that first season, in that first month. I think that he's somebody that maybe by the end of this year, maybe at some point next year, could be somebody who supplants Casey DeSmith if DeSmith is not doing well enough as a backup. I don't know if I would project Lindbergh to be a starter in the National Hockey League, but as of right now, what I what I see is a guy that could be a really good backup, potentially even a 1B at his peak, but there's still a lot of progression that needs to happen with him. And then there's Joel Blomfist, who right now is the prize of the Pittsburgh Penguins when it comes to the goaltending prospects. It was him and Callie Klang, and then Klang gets traded, so now it is all Joel Blomfist, and I, I think he's going to have a firm grip on that number one spot in the Penguins goalie rankings for a couple of years to come, especially with even Philip Lindbergh playing well, but especially with him making that jump to North American hockey and focusing on his professional career and his NHL career. I'm excited to see what he's able to do when he makes that transfer over to North American ice. Yeah, barring any harsh turnaround, that's exactly where he'll be. He'll be that number one uh, goalie prospect for the future to come. And I mean, depending on how good he can be, um, he could be... You know, a good backup to Jari. We, we could become the new starter after Jari, depending on how he projects and on what we want to do with Tristan Jari. I mean, don't get me wrong. We love what Tristan Jari has brought to this team and has brought to this organization. But everything we discuss with him has been regular season success. Mm-hmm. You know, as he, he hasn't had his opportunities in the playoffs. Yeah, sure. But maybe that's but that's also part of the issue here is that it is a business and you still have to play in the postseason to have postseason success and you have mm-hmm. to be available to play in the postseason to have postseason success. It's a harsh reality, especially in goaltending, but it's just the way it is. But if Joel Blomquist can come up, you know, grow the proper way, and this is years down the line. This mm-hmm. is post new contract for Jari, by the way. Just getting that out of the way. This is post possible Reels postseason success, um, but. He can be the future of this team. I'm forgetting his age. Is it? I'm assuming it's like 21 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got the ability to grow into a proper starting goalie for this team once again. Once Jari maybe moves on, maybe we maybe he loses his luster. We never know because goaltending is weird. But it's good to have someone like that who can grow into his game through Europe and then over to the professional system when he's got a game under his belt in professional hockey already Mm -hmm. uh, or two I think Uh, so he knows what it takes to be here and North American professional yeah yeah he's got the taste he's played in Wilkes-Barre I think for I think I think it was two games last year one just one yeah they lost three to one and he gave up two goals maybe that's what I'm thinking it was two goals but Mm -hmm. he knows what it takes now he's tasted the ice he's gotten a little sweat on his brow from this professional game, from a new style of North American play. 
That's one thing, especially with goalies, we always talk about coming overseas is a different game. Mm-hmm. He knows what it takes now. So I think if he's able to maintain steady, become as good as he's projected to be, he's the future past Jari, assuming um, Jari doesn't turn into Brodeur and is good until he's 40. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I hope that Joel Blomqvist isn't licking the ice underneath his feet. I've never heard tasting the ice is something, but hey. A taste of the ice. Come on now. <laughs> okay. But nonetheless, uh, that is our prospect rankings. You can check them all out in their entirety at InsideThePenguins.com. We're going to take a quick break here at the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. When we return, Crosby and Malkin were given a little bit of their flowers earlier in the week. We'll talk about that right after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. So, of course, the Pittsburgh Penguins, as we get closer to the 2022-23 season, are going to start getting talked about in rankings. You know, whether it be power rankings for the Metro Division, rankings for the Eastern Conference, or rankings by position, as NHL Network does every year prior to the season. They kicked off this year with their top 20 centers and two Pittsburgh Penguins. Of course, the only two that you would expect to make the list did make the top 20. Sidney Crosby was ranked fifth on the list of top 20 centers in the NHL. And Evgeny Malkin was ranked 18th as I pull up the rankings from 11 to 20. Horwat, what do you think of Malkin's rating first? I'm honestly a little surprised that the NHL network and the national media, if you will, um, put him up this high. Actually kept him in the top 20. I'm a little surprised by that because he's older, injury prone, and just we don't know what he can still bring to the table. I mean, granted, we're all expecting great things of him. Mm-hmm. It's a different league now. I'm just a little surprised that we that he managed to crack the top 20, uh, and I'm happy for him, and I'm happy for this placement. I do like the placement. Um, it's just it is hard to jump some of these names that are right here. I mean, Jack Eichel slipping to 16 is kind of funny. Um, it's hard to go past what you know, what things like Nazem Kadri or JT Miller have done recently. So, um, Evgeny Malkin in his 41 games of work last season proved himself that he is still a hungry player to be successful and still be one of the best on the ice. I think this is a great spot for him. Mm -hmm. And we, me and you talked about it, uh, not too long ago. The ex, your expectations especially are very high for him this year. So 18 is a good spot. Um, I don't expect him to stay on too much longer because, again, he is getting older. The league is getting younger around him. Mm -hmm. And these names around him are very skilled players and are only going to move up as well. But for now, at 36, this is a hell of a spot for him to be, man. And for the first time in what I would say is his entire career is we're seeing the national media start to give him his flowers more while the local media and local opinion of Evgeny Malkin is plummeting. I mean, there is a real strict divide in the fan base of people who think Evgeny Malkin is still very talented and going to have a very good season versus people that think that Evgeny Malkin was a worse option than Vinny Trocek, for example. So I think that what you're seeing is he is withholding his stature on the national scale while in Pittsburgh, he's being talked about like his career is already over. And yes, I do have high expectations for Evgeny Malkin this season. I think he's going to be a fantastic player, even close to a point-per-game player. And it doesn't matter to me, like I've said before, if he plays the entire season in the regular season, if he has a really good performance when he is healthy and he's available for the postseason, I don't care if he plays 50 games because I trust that in those 30 other games, Sidney Crosby is going to be able to get the Pittsburgh Penguins to at least a 600 win percentage, which is perfectly fine for making the postseason. And that at the end of the day is the only thing that should matter for the Pittsburgh Penguins going forward. So Malkin at number 18, it's very similar to Elias Pettersson, who is at 19, who is somebody who last couple of seasons has failed to meet the expectations that people have set for them, but they're still top talents in the league and that's why they're ranked so high yeah this is not based on what they or i don't know how to put this but for what you're saying is how he's available for the playoffs you have to think back i mean kucherov played what zero games in the regular season yeah whatever year that was popped into the postseason they won a cup guaranteed 
Kucherov was still a top 10 in his position because he's just that good. It's not about being healthy. It's not about uh, success of your team. It is genuinely about just how good of a player you are. Mm-hmm. And Evgeny Malkin is still a top 20 center mm-hmm. in the league. It's not about being healthy because we know he hasn't been recently. He will be now, which is nice. But it's just how skilled and how good he is. And we still see that every now and again. Mm-hmm. So let's pivot over to Sidney Crosby, because obviously everybody has a high opinion of Sidney Crosby. Over a point a game again last season, 84 points in, I forget how many games he had had played at this current moment, but... 60-something. 69, I believe. Nice. Uh, But he was ranked number five. Let's pull those rankings up now. One through ten from the NHL Network in centers. Mika Zibanejad at ten. Ajo at nine. Bergeron at eight. Stamkos, Barkov. And then Crosby at number five, only behind... Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan McKinnon, Austin Matthews, and Connor McDavid. Horwat, do you take umbrage with where Sidney Crosby is placed in this ranking right now? No, but once again, just looking at the list, clearly this is not based on postseason success. It is based on pure skill. Yeah. Uh, because that, that's just genuinely what it is. There's Connor McDavid up there at number one. Yeah, he's going to be number one, and he's going to be there for a long time. That's the old Sidney Crosby position. Mm-hmm. Austin Matthews. I mean, the guy scored 60 goals. Yeah, I think, yeah, no, that's where he's going to be. Nathan McKinnon has the uh, has the opportunity to become the highest paid player in the NHL soon. So, yeah, he's going to be number three because he can also live up to a contract like that. Mm-hmm. Drysaddle might be my only question mark, just because isn't isn't he also a winger at times? Whenever the Oilers get desperate and play a Mc, with McDavid, mm-hmm. but it's a loose it's a loose list. Uh, that'd be the only qu- content question I have is whether or not. They should have put Crosby above Dreisaitl. But hey, you know what? It's probably a lot of Canadian media involved in this list. <laughs> the Oilers are a Canadian team. Yeah, they're going to have one and four. That looks good. Crosby, and I like Crosby in top five. He's a top five center in this league still. My other question mark is Patrice Bergeron <laughs> at number eight. Mm-hmm. Sure, he's still good, but number eight. This also is not a Bruins podcast. I won't go further than that. I mean, Patrice Bergeron coming back for one more season. He did win the Selkie again last year. Oh. So, I mean, I I know that that's basically his award, and they just give it to him because he is that guy. But he is genuinely that good of a center. I mean, there's a reason that Boston has not gone off of him for however many years. He is that good. I would put him at number eight because Sebastian Ajo, while being extremely talented in a much younger version, I, I think he's not as good as Bergeron. He's done nothing in my eyes to have him surpass Bergeron on a list of best centers in the National Hockey League. It is definitely a changing league, too. Now that I'm like really thinking about it, because I'm looking at Ajo and Zibanejad and thinking they would be nowhere near their numbers if not on this list at all two years ago a year ago Zibanejad uh, Zibanejad would have been on this list but definitely not in the top 10 mm-hmm. he, it's it's a changing league and these guys are all getting better and people are looking at each player a little differently and I think analytics are part of that because we know Zibanejad brings a lot to the table but we know he can be streaky too we saw it literally in seven games mm-hmm. <clears throat> just this past spring yeah, so I think when you look at the top three, that's that's pretty undoubted to me. I think McDavid is the undeniable best hockey player in the National Hockey League, and he's going to be for a while. Matthews is right there. Uh, I don't think Matthews is, is past McDavid. It's going to take a lot for me to say Matthews is past McDavid just because of how ridiculous McDavid is and who he has around him. Meanwhile, Matthews, while playing with a guy like Michael Bunting and, and I, again, I think Michael Bunting's success last season was completely overblown. He does play with a guy like Mitch Marner as well on his other wing. Um, but McKinnon, I, I think, is now that he's broken through and gotten that Stanley Cup, he's going to climb to new heights. Dreisaitl is a machine. He really is. And whether you put him at the... I'm interested to see when the wingers come out. If Dreisaitl is included in the wingers list as well, I, I don't think that they would he do that. Be. He shouldn't he be, shouldn't be. If, you're, if you're saying he's a center. But I do like where Crosby's placed on this list. I think Barkov is right on his tail right now. I think Barkov being a two-way center that he is, is hurt by the fact that he plays for Florida. I think last year, not as much because of how good that team was. But I think even you saw last year, they were, what, the President's Trophy winners? And there's still a team that's barely talked about in national media. So I I do like where Crosby is on this list. And I think if you look forward, I don't think there's anybody on this list that's going to surpass him in the next year. So he's probably safely in the top five for another season, which I I think is a good spot for Sidney Crosby. But 
We want, I want to finish this off before we get to shout outs and call outs. I want to ask which other Penguins are going to end up on this NHL Network top 20 list when they get to their position. Because I think there realistically is five more players that we could see on the Penguins that get ranked in the top 20. I believe so too. It's going to come down to Chris Letang will definitely be on the defensive one. I mean, he had a career year at the age of 35. Mm-hmm. He's going to crack the top 10, I think, in the defensive list. I would think. Yeah, I don't see any other defenseman reaching there. I think Tristan Jari gets up there. I don't know where exactly. I mean, if they're pushing to 20, yeah, he's going to make that list. Yeah. And depending on how they do the wingers, I mean, we know Jake Ensel will be there. He was he was talked about as possibly being an Olympian whenever that was still an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Russ could squeak in. Uh, I'm trying to think down the, down the wings. Uh, those are the ones I hold on to for now, those four. I know you said five. I just can't think of it off the top of my head at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whenever I look at this list, I agree with you. Tristan Jari, I think, will finish in the 9 to 11 range, to be completely honest. I think that's where he slots in, especially because of his inconsistencies in the postseason. I think that does get taken into account for certain players. Obviously not for a guy as good as, as Dreisaitl or McDavid. Uh, Chris Letang, again, in that same range. I think 7 to 10 is where you can see Chris Letang finish. He, he finished 7th in Norris Trophy voting last year. So I would not be surprised at all if you see him finish in the top 10 for the defenseman. Jake Gensel, three episodes ago, I ranked him at number six among left-wingers. I don't think that NHL Network's going to put him that high, but I do think NHL Network's going to have him in the top 10. They'll probably have him again in the same range as Latang and Jari, where they say, hey, he's a Pittsburgh Penguin. He's really good, but his name's not Crosby or Malkin. So 7 to 10, 7 to 12, that's the range they're going to put him in. And then at right wing, I think Brian Rust is going to get his name up in there. I think he's done enough, especially being an almost 30-goal scorer for basically three seasons in a row. I think he's done enough to get his name into the top 20, probably in that 15 to 20 range. And I wonder whether or not Ricard Raquel gets up in there. That's a good point. That's the last one. I don't know if he would. It would be 18 to 20 if he does. Yeah. Because I haven't really... I need to look more closely at the top right wingers in the NHL. But I wonder if Ricard Raquel sneaks in there as well. That's the hard one. I think if he would have had a full season with the Penguins last year, I bet there's a better opportunity. But because he's coming from a not very good Anaheim Ducks team, Mm -hmm. over to here his numbers get trounced a little. Mm -hmm. So they look at the numbers and say, well, there's not much there. They look at that rather than the team that he's on. So I would say, I would think he doesn't just because of, he didn't have the full season here to, be his full-fledged self. If he, if he pops off the Penguins this year, next year, this top 20 list, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for now, I don't see it. So, I mean, I'd like it. You never know. But um, it's just, uh, I like the choice. I like the idea. So with that, I, I think we move on to shout-outs and call-outs here as we're we're getting a little late in this, so we'll make it a, a kind of shortened shout-outs and call-out segment. I'll start it off with my shout-out. Plain and simple, I liked what I saw from Kenny Pickett on Saturday. In his first preseason game, his NFL debut, even though it's the preseason, I get that. 13 of 15, 100, or sorry, 95 yards, two touchdowns, and a 132.6 passer rating, which I don't know how they make the passer rating, but I do know that that's a pretty good number. I think it's at 150. So he looked good. Yes, he went up against third stringers, but as everybody has said, he's playing with third stringers as well. Went down and got the game-winning drive on a play that if anybody's played receiver was the incorrect play to make by, I don't even remember the guy's name. You, you Don't cut back in. I guess they did have a timeout and were in field goal range, but cutting to the inside is a dangerous move, dude. I just could hear my coaches yelling at me from high school. Uh, and it is just the preseason, but I'm excited from what I saw from Kenny Pickett, and I'm excited to see what I see from him on uh, on Saturday as they take on the Jaguars in game two of the preseason schedule. Yeah, it was it was fun watching him play. We saw a lot of good stuff from Kenny Pickett, from Pickens, and hell, you oh, yeah. know what? Trubisky and Rudolph didn't look god-awful either. So, no matter the option, looks like the Steelers are pretty okay. I still don't foresee that great of a season overall, but you never know. It's the Steelers. We figure, out, we figure things out. I would say they're a playoff team if the AFC wasn't as stacked as it is. I mean, the entire AFC West is probably going to make the playoffs. Yeah, and we also are well aware of how the our division, the AFC North, is getting better. Well, yeah. We just watched the Bengals in the Super Bowl. The Ravens, while trending downward, are still the Ravens. Listen, the Ravens had four great running backs all go out for the season before Game 1 last year. Yeah. They're a running so, team. 
That, that, that makes it a little difficult to be a running team when your top four running backs are out. So Tack I think that, on a running back is your quarterback too. Yeah, who was injured last season. So yeah, the Steelers are going to have a rough battle. Yeah, and then the Browns who are just going to brown it up, I think, this year. So we, we will at least not be dead last. Yeah, fair. Uh, that's my prediction for. So my uh, shout-out, that's what we're on. My shout-out is a little twofold uh, because it is my shout-out and call-out at the same time. I want to – you'll see why. Because I want to shout-out Dennis Eckersley for what he called the Pirates, a hodgepodge of nothingness because that's a great way of putting it. It – we – and, and, but what comes from the call-out is how people have defended the Pirates in this situation, like Greg Brown, how no one has come out. And they're not, I mean, I get no one's going to say anything. Be like, hey, this team is better than that. But Greg Brown's response on the fan was uh, not good <clears throat> when it comes to admitting what this team is, and that is bad. Mm-hmm. And the future... Uh, I'll get to the future in a minute. But he called... He asked... He said he told uh, the the PM team that he would then ask Dennis Eckersley, "What's worse, having a low payroll for nothing and being in last, or having one of the highest payrolls in the league and being below 500?" To which I say, "Brownie, they've won four World Series since the turn of the century. <laughs> we haven't made the playoffs since the turn of the century, <laughs> in reality. Mm-hmm. So let's cool it with slamming the Red Sox here. I don't like the Red Sox either." But at least I, I can look at four World Series victories and go, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the hodgepodge of nothing is, yeah, thank you, Dennis Eckersley, for just saying it and maybe getting someone's attention. Because fans, at this point, we're tired of hearing about the prospect pool. We are. As much as we look forward to the quote-unquote 2024 World Series, we want to see some success and show that there is some semblance of getting there. This team's on track to lose 100 games again. Mm-hmm. Again. And yet, we've called up O'Neill Cruz. Key Brian Hayes is supposed to be good. Brian Reynolds is still around. Okay, where's our pitching? Okay, can Henry Davis stay healthy? Okay, this, that, this, that. There's so much wrong with this team that I'm tired of hearing about the prospects. <laughs> I just want to see this team win a little bit. Mm-hmm. Even, like, show that there is progress being made. We're not just going to go from a 100-loss season, 100-loss season, 100-loss season to, hey, look, we won the World Series. That's not how it's going to work. So... In total, I'm shouting out Dennis Eckersley for maybe getting someone's attention, but then calling out Greg Brown for just what is that response? It's a response that I like. To be completely, I do fair. like the response, especially I do because like the response. But like Eckers- in the grand scheme, it's harsh. Eckers- it's hard. Eckersley prefaced what he said by this season. So when you say that this season's Pittsburgh Pirates are a hodgepodge of nothingness, while you're not entirely wrong as a Boston Red Sox coordinator or whatever he is, commentator. I completely agree with Greg Brown. It's like, okay, this season, you really want to talk about it? This season, the Pirates haven't put anything into their into their team. They have not paid to put into their team. And listen, that's a, that's a complete another issue with the ownership and everything like that. But yeah, the Pirates are a hodgepodge of nothingness. They have been for the past three years. What have you, what have you been missing? But the Boston Red Sox, somebody, and I, I hate, a lot of things about Dennis Eckersley's comments. It's the same thing that you hear from whoever the guy is in Boston that is for the Bruins. He, he says stuff and he comes off as such, like obviously a lot of regional broadcasts are homers, but him saying something like that when your team paid so much money to not only be missing a playoff spot, to not only be under 500, to, to be in last place below a surprisingly good Baltimore Orioles team, but you're in last place in your division. Like, you don't have room to say anything. So just shut up. Like, oh, they're a hodgepodge of nothingness. Okay. And your point is, your team also sucks, but they paid to be good, and they still suck. So there's different levels of being bad baseball teams. The Pirates are bad because they don't try to be good. That's basically where they're at. The The Red Sox are trying to be good, and they suck. So I agree with Greg Brown uh, I, in that instance. I, I think... If you're in that position, you have no right to come out and say, yeah, the Pirates are a hodgepodge of nothingness. When your team, yeah, you have names that people know. Chris Sale got injured falling off of a bike or whatever the hell he did. Yeah, you have a team that has players with names, Rafael Devers. Guess what? You still can't win. So that's the issue. So that's, that's I took umbrage with what he said, and I agreed with Greg Brown. I thought it was a good response. It is a fair response, right, in the in the preface of this season. You do it for, I mean, like I keep going back to the four World Series and since 2000. Well, 
they've been paying for it ever since too. I mean, they've always had one of the highest payrolls in baseball. They're up there with one of the they're one of the big markets. Mm-hmm. And I don't. You see all sides coming out from this. You see people defending the Pirates, people defending the Dennis Eckersley comment. I think at the end of the day, it is possible for each and every team, regardless of size of uh, size of whatever fan base. I forget what it's called now. Mm-hmm. I just said it. But whatever size of their team is, every team can still spend because it's a a there's no cap, so you can just you can just freely spend. B it's the Pirates are making a truckload of money. They are making so much money still. I mean, they pay their I forget what it is. They pay their player salary on. I think it's ticket sales alone. I forget what the number was. It's something like that alone. And then everything else that comes with it is going straight into Nutting's pocket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, all the other workers' pockets. So this team can spend money. They, they just don't. refusing to. And that's what sucks because this team wants to see a good... This fan base wants to see a good team so bad. So bad. They're tired of hearing about the prospects. They want to see these prospects play and do something. Everyone keeps pointing to the Royals about look at they're letting their prospects play and they're looking decent okay i don't care i want to see the pirates do it now yeah i mean at the end of the day the pirates are the pirates and if you're expecting anything more from them then it's just your own fault i've come to expect hey we're gonna watch we're gonna get excited about a couple series over the season which we have i'm pretty sure they played really well against the uh, la dodgers in la didn't they sweep them I think we all enjoyed that. The sweep that of the fun. Milwaukee Brewers at home. That was fun. O'Neill Cruz, a lot of his home runs are fun. Uh, Rowan Z. Contreras early in the season was great. But at the end of the day, the Pirates are a losing organization. They have been as far as long as I've been alive. I mean, those, that three-year stint was great. But at the end of the day, you look at it and you say, okay, they won one wild card game and haven't won a round in the playoffs. Like that. That's, that's the bar for excellent baseball in the city of Pittsburgh. So I, I'm not expecting that much more. But for somebody that's in a similar position in the standings, but also makes five times the amount when it comes to salary cap and payroll, I don't want to hear you trying to, to be all high and mighty as the Boston Red Sox commentator. That's the thing. But uh, my call out to close out the show is also continuing with the baseball theme. I'm calling out Fernando Tatis Jr. Because oh. my guy, I was very excited for, for the San Diego Padres when Juan Soto and Josh Bell and even Brandon Drury got traded over to there. Talk about, you know, Hater, Josh Hater as well as a closer, even though he hasn't been good since going to San Diego. I was excited. I said, oh, man, when Tatis gets back, this is going to be real interesting. It's going to be a throwback to the beginning of last season or we saw, or the mid of last season, where we saw those great Dodgers versus Padres series fantastic theater fantastic baseball it's still gonna be could be a good series if they match up but this is a massive blow to lose fernando tatis for something we we don't know what it was i mean we know the drug that he he popped for on the ped test which is why he suspended 80 games but the excuses are ridiculous if you've seen them i mean multiple different and completely opposite excuses one was fernando tatis saying oh i had ringworm the ringworm medication had something in it that i wasn't expecting to pop on a ped test and it did it was a complete and utter mistake i didn't know yada 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 okay well then his father comes out a couple days later he had a bad haircut got fungus on his head and used this spray that just happened to have that in it like okay making excuses first and foremost I don't give a shit. You're out for 80 games. You ruined what could have been a really good story at the end of this season. Yeah, we'll probably get to see all these players next year, but it's baseball. I want it now. Fernando Tatis, like, I wanted to see it this season because he's already hasn't played because he's injured. So now he's going to miss the rest of this season. He's probably going to screw the uh, the Padres' chances of winning anything in the NL. And he's going to miss the beginning of next season. He's probably going to get hurt again. He's probably going to get... What did he, he got hurt on a bike as well. What is it with people getting injured on bikes in, in the MLB? But Fernando Tatis is supposed to be one of the game's most marketable stars. Yes, he is very immature. And this just proves it even more. Not only to... Yes, a lot of players have popped for PEDs. It's baseball. They all do. But to come up with two excuses that are both equally lame. Ringworm and fungus from a bad haircut... Really? I mean, the Padres could still challenge. 
I get that. But I want to see, like, who do you think of when you say, oh, favorites in the NL and AL? It's Houston and it's LA. And it's like, okay, can we get somebody else? Like, I get Atlanta broke through last year. Washington broke through in 2019. But can we see somebody else? The Rays in 2020 broke through past the, the, the Astros. The Royals in 2015. Yeah. Or 14, whatever year that was. That was awesome. But still, it's always, okay, it's the Dodgers. It's the Astros. This year it'll be, okay, it's the Mets. It might be the Yankees. But can like I was excited for a team that hasn't been there in so long in the Padres. And they still could. They got great pitching. They have some really talented players. But their offense just isn't there, which is surprising considering Josh Bell is hitting over 300. Juan Soto has great plate appearances. I mean, he doesn't hit as much. He has 255 batting average, but he's always walking. Uh, and then, you know, I like Cronenworth. I, I like Machado. I think he's a, a not, uh, not all, all-star. What am I thinking? MVP candidate in the NL. But it's just the excuses from Tatis and to be able to having him miss another 80 games have pissed me off. And I know it went off in a rampage and I should just sit back and stop at this point. It happens. It's okay. We can even wrap up if you want to. I mean, do you have anything to say on, on Tatis? No, I, more than just whenever it first came out, I figured, well, he hasn't played all year. Is it just something that the doctors gave him to heal up? Or uh, then all this came out, and I kind of let it go and just let it be. And uh, A Rod's comments were interesting as well. He he was uh, discussing how Tatis might not make the Hall of Fame now. That he may not make the Hall of Fame because of his past steroid stuff. Uh, A Rod. Ortiz just got in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> You're going to be okay. You're going to make it because people like you. Are Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa in the Hall of Fame? Nope. Okay. Because they're not good. They weren't nice to the media. Well, I mean, that's, that's why... the that, only reason. That's why, I mean, Tom, that's why Barry Bond's not in. That's why Tom Barrasso isn't in on the hockey side. Exactly. I mean, he's a, he's kind of borderline as is, but... But A-Rod's nice to the media. If if Tatis can square up his act in the, in the next 10 to 15 years... I think he's going to be okay. That's probably my call out for next week. I'm going to talk about his Hall of Fames because I agree with Deion Sanders. And if you know what I'm talking about, then you probably can make a a judgment on what I just said. But if not, we'll talk about it on next week's episode. But that's what does it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. We'll be back on Monday with a new episode talking more Pittsburgh Penguins hockey. Have a great weekend, Pens fans. You can follow the hosts on Twitter at Nick Horwat 41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You could also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. Listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts from or watch us on YouTube at Inside the Penguins. This show is brought to you by SI Fan Nation and InsideThePenguins.com.